Welcome to According to the Scriptures, where doing things according to God's Word is of heavenly importance to us. I'm Kyle Webb, your host, and I'm glad that you are here. A few weeks ago, one of our members suggested that we do a study on Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. And the reason that he gave is that the seven ones that are found in those verses pretty well cover Christianity and should be fundamental to each of us as Christians. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. And so we began that study. And today, for an installment of According to the Scriptures, I want to share with you an original recording of the sermon in hopes that it will be beneficial to you. So grab your Bible, a pen and paper if you'd like to take notes, And I'll be back at the end of the program to give you more information about our congregation and how to contact us. Scripture reading today comes from the book of Ephesians, chapter 4. We'll be looking together at verses 1 through 6. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. And this is from the New King James Version. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Our lesson for today is titled One Body. It's on the one body, which is the church. Uh, We understand that a little bit from our our study this morning, um, but but certainly we understand that that in the scriptures, in various places, the church is referred to interchangeably as the body. And we are the body. We are the body of Christ, to be specific. And so, as we look at this one body, uh, we, we try to have an understanding of what that is. In Ephesians chapter 4, there are seven different ones. Ironically, uh, this study was an idea that Joe gave me, and, and guess who's not here today for the first lesson. Um, but we're going to go through the, the seven ones here of Ephesians chapter 4, and there are some things that we understand about them. Uh, but hopefully we have a better understanding as we go through the lesson uh, of what these ones are and how important they are to us. Uh, when Joe and I were discussing uh, this, I think he meant it more so to be like an article or something like that than a sermon series. But I know that he said that the, these are the things that we don't really spend a lot of time with. And, and I know that going through my library, I don't have 
a whole lot of material that's based on just these seven ones. But all of these are fundamental to our understanding of the church and our understanding of God and what God wants us to be. And so we'll discuss a little bit more as we go through uh, this lesson about the one body. And then later on, we'll, we'll spend some more time individually with the one spirit, one hope, and, and all the other ones that are involved in this. Beginning with verse 4, you have the list of the seven ones, but going back in context, not just with the text, but, but also in context, uh, it's important for us to have an understanding of, of what these ones are. And, and this kind of leads into that and gives us an idea of why Paul is writing in Ephesians chapter 4 about these seven ones. In verse 1, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one overall theme in regard to verses 1 through 3 that we need to notice and that we need to take recognition of, and that is unity. All of this is written with the idea in mind of keeping the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Unity is the overall theme, not just of Ephesians, but also of all the scriptures. Unity is the theme of the scriptures. Whenever we read about the church, it is in an effort that we understand the church and that we be one as the church, that we be together as the church, that we keep that unity with our brethren and to keep the unity with God. The unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So those things are the overall theme of what we're talking about here. And as we have unity with the Spirit, so we have unity with one another. But there are some other key thoughts that we find in these verses that, that are important here. That we walk worthy of the calling. We are called to be greater than what we could be without God. We are called to be God's children. We are told how to do that. We are called through the scriptures. It's not an audible calling as some people think. It's not a feeling within us. It's something that we, are, we, we study the scriptures and we are called by God in his speaking to us in the scriptures. We need to walk worthy of the calling. We have been called to be Christians. We need to walk in such a manner as to be Christians because that is what God ultimately desires of us. That we bear with one another in love, in all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, that we bear with one another. Those are important themes as well. We need to bear with one another, even when we disagree, even when we uh, don't get along always, we bear with one another. Even when you have an idea of how we should do something, and I have a different idea, we bear with one another. And we do our best together because we love one another. For a lot of people, it's easy to break ties 
because they don't have that love for one another. When you disagree with someone in the workplace, it's easy just to go a different way. It's easy to maybe even go to a different job because you don't love that person necessarily and you're not tied to that person. So I'll just go somewhere else. A lot of marriages break up today because spouses don't love one another as they could and should. But we bear with one another because we love one another, because we love God. And we know that we are all God's children and we love each other for that reason. But how can we do a better job of of accomplishing the unity that Paul desires? By walking worthy of our calling, by bearing with one another in love, in meekness, in long-suffering. There are other ways, too, that we can, can probably think of, but this is, is Paul's way of telling us of how to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace and some of the things that we need to be involved in, some of the things that we need to be uh, aware of. As we get into verse 4, we begin reading of the seven ones. There is one body and one Spirit. As you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. As we look at the one body, we look at the one and only, established by God, united Church of Christ, as opposed to the division that is often found in denominations, It's always found in denominations. We have unity amongst ourselves. We have unity with God. We have unity in His Word. There are ways in which to accomplish that unity that we need to be aware of. And then as we we go on a little bit later in this series, we'll talk a little bit more about the one Spirit, the one hope, the one Lord, the one faith, one baptism, the one God and Father of all. But the church is to be united. We are to be one. That was Jesus' prayer in John 17 that we read earlier this morning in our devotional. The church is to be united. We are to be one. As members of a body are united in one, so we are to be united as one. As we look at the human body, we understand that each member is essential to one another. When your finger hurts, your whole body hurts, doesn't it? Even though this is a small member, it shows the importance of even just a finger. Or you stub your toe. Or you have a headache. Just something small that affects the way that you live, that that affects the, the functioning of the body, is interrupted by the hurt of one of its members. That's the way that the body of Christ works. That's the way that the church works. We are united. We are each important. Even uh, weaker members, even those that don't do as much as others, each one is important to the body. We need to see each other as important to the body. When one leaves, it hurts us. It hurts the functioning of the body. Because we have a closeness. We should have a closeness with one another. We should love each other as God intended for us to do. 
And so we see that we are essential to the functioning of the body. We are essential to not only the functioning of the, the Mars Hill body, but the church overall. God's desire for His church is that we be united, not divided. His will. His will is our ultimate goal. We want to do God's will. Jesus came not to do His own will, but the will of the Father who sent Him. And so we are to do the will of God as well. As we get into looking at this one body, one of the things that we have to uh, recognize first and foremost is that there is a head of this body. The head of the body is Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. When it comes to the church... There is unity under one head, one head of the church, that is, and that is Jesus. Jesus is the head of his church. One thing that you will not find in the churches of Christ, as we do in in denominations, as you find in um, other organizations, there there was not to be many heads of this one church. There are not many presidents. There's not a group of people that meet to decide what we're going to do and what we're going to believe and what we're going to practice and what direction we're going to take. There are not to be many heads of the one church. There cannot be many heads of the one church or else our efforts are going to be divided. So there are no organizations within the church or anything else that decide what we're going to do because we are under the oversight of one head, and that is Christ. Another thing that we find particular to the the Lord's church is that this head is not an earthly head. It's not one person. It's not a human being. But the head of the Lord's church is of a heavenly nature. There are again no popes, no presidents, no CEOs. We have one head of the Lord's church and it's not an earthly head. It is Jesus Christ. The one head that God had in mind is established as head by God himself. As we read in verse 22, he is of heaven. He reigns over his church from heaven. So that might leave it in our minds, well, what about these other churches that believe something different, that practice something different, that teach something different? Where do the others come from? Where, where do all these ideas for these organizations and, and these hopes and these heads that, that they have of their church, where do, this, the, do these ideas come from? They're not from Scripture. They're not from Scripture They are from the thoughts, the teachings of man. The doctrines of men that were condemned by Jesus in his ministry, uh, such as in Matthew chapter 15 and verse 9. We have the teachings and doctrines of men that, that have led people in different directions, but that's not what God intended for his church. God established one head of his church, 
And that is Jesus Christ. There is no other head. No matter uh, how you look at this, no matter which way you slice it, God established one head of his church. God intended for there to be only one head of his church. And he put all things under his feet, gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. God has already established his head. We don't have to question it. We don't have to have a a different idea because God has established the head that he wants to be, the head of the church, and it's not outdated. This is not something that was particular to this time. This is something that God set in motion. And who are we to change what God has set in motion? As a body can have only one head, so the church has only one head. We are the church. We are his body. We are the body of Christ. We are members of his body. And in Christ is the fullness of the Godhead, as as well as the power and wisdom and love of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning with verse 30, But of him you are in Christ, Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Who became for us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. Jesus is the fullness of all those things. And as through Christ has provided our sanctification and redemption, so we belong to Him. We belong to Christ. We are part of His family because He is the head of His church. Because he died for his church. To purchase his church. With his own blood he purchased his church. We are the church of Christ because we belong to him. It is a scriptural name. And it describes us perfectly that we are of Christ. We are his church. We are his children. As we look at the body of Christ, we understand that it is the church. Jesus is the head of this body. But as we look at the body itself, we understand the body to be the church. Whereas Christ is the head of this body, members make up the body of Christ. Members are those persons who have fully obeyed the gospel. Those who have heard and believed the gospel. Those who have confessed their faith in Christ. Those who have repented and been baptized for the forgiveness, for the remission of their sin. Those that have obeyed the gospel are members of the Lord's church. And as we have done that, as we have been obedient, as we have heard and believed, as we have repented and confessed our faith in Christ, as we've been baptized for the remission of our sins, we become members of this church. There are different ideas of baptism, but basically what we're taught in Scripture is that baptism is a burial in water. According to Acts 36, or 8 and verses 36 and 39. Romans 6 and verse 4. We are baptized into Christ according to Galatians 3 and verse 27. 
We are baptized for the purpose of salvation according to 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 21. One baptized is then immersed into the body, the church. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 13. By one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. As we have obeyed the gospel, as we are baptized into Christ, we are added to the Lord's church by the Lord Himself, according to Acts 2 and verse 47. Members are different. Each member is different within the Lord's church. Just as we have different members of the human body, so there are different members even in the Lord's church. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. And he himself gave some, not all, but he gave some to be apostles, which means that not everybody can be an apostle. He gave some to be prophets. Not everybody can be a prophet. Some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now there are some things that that all of us can do. But there are some that are placed in these special roles for the edification of the Lord's church, for the edifying of the body of Christ. The apostles have all passed from this life. They were appointed by Jesus specifically Only he could appoint them, and and he gave them special abilities. But we no longer have those apostles among us today. We no longer have prophets among us who are given a special message or a revelation by God for his people that would share that message with the people so that they would know what to do. We have the revealed word of God before us. We have the Bible to tell us what God wants us to do. And we have the responsibility of studying it so that we know what God wants us to do. That which is perfect has come. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 10. We are all given the perfect word of God to guide us in doing His will. Some of us are evangelists. Not all, but some are evangelists who are given the special role of preaching the good news to the lost. Some are pastors, or elders, bishops, presbyters, shepherds, uh, all different forms of the same thing in the scriptures. But some are pastors tasked with feeding and caring for the needs of the flock of God in their respective congregations. Acts 20, verses 17 and 28. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 2 through 4. Now, let's not confuse pastors with preachers. I am not a pastor. I am a minister of the gospel. I stand in the pulpit. I proclaim the word of God. I would be an evangelist, maybe. But I'm not a pastor. Pastors are those special men that are appointed over the church, that have oversight over the church and the work of the church and what the church does and believes and practices and teaches. 
Those are what we commonly refer to as elders. And those are very special men. It's a, a very special role. I'm not a pastor. I'm not a reverend. I don't have a title, really. I have a description of what I do. But I'm not one of those. Some are. I'm not one. Included in the number of evangelists and pastors were teachers. Though we also have members who can serve as teachers, both of those within the congregation and the lost. There are those that teach within a congregation. There are those that teach Bible classes, especially kids' Bible classes we think of, but adult Bible classes as well. There are teachers among us. There are special uh, people that have that ability We have teachers of the lost. Maybe some of us don't know exactly how to teach in the way that that maybe we want to. There are those of us that can help. We are all teachers in some form or respect. But there are those that, that have that special gift that they can use to edify the body of Christ. Teaching the congregation, teaching the lost. Those things are very important to the Lord's church. And there are other roles as well, those that are not mentioned here, but we have deacons, would also be referred to as servants, appointed men who serve uh, in various roles as ministers of a congregation. They have a pulpit minister, a youth minister, a family outreach minister. Uh, those things are, are in Scripture. We have evidence of those in Scripture. There are those that have the ability to serve in those special roles. And we should respect them and encourage them in doing those different things within the Lord's church. But even though we have different roles, we are one church. We are still one body. We have many members that do many different things for the edification of the body. We are still one body. We are united in Christ. We are to be united in what we do and in what we believe. We understand that this one body is united in its organization. Members who are submissive to their elders for one and supportive of their ministers for another, both financially as needed as well as in encouraging. There are different ways that we can encourage one another. and We are to be united in encouraging those members that have those special roles All members recognized Christ as the only head of his church. We don't recognize a person as head of the church, but we recognize Christ as the head of his church, and thus we are the church belonging to Christ. But even beyond its organization, we are united in our worship. We are united in the way that we worship. We come together, and we partake of the same acts of worship. We participate in the same acts of worship commanded in Scripture. We are united in our singing, Ephesians 5 and verses 18 and 19, also Colossians 3, 16. We are united in praying, Acts 2, 42, and 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 and 25. Preaching and teaching, Acts 2, 42, and also chapter 20 and verse 7. In partaking of the fellowship of the Lord's Supper, Acts 20 and verse 7, 1 Corinthians 10, 16, and also chapter 11, verses 20 through 30. 
in our giving. 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 and 2. 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 7. All of these things are commanded in Scripture. Even though we don't have time to, to, to go back and look at each of those individually today, each one of these tells us that these are commanded in Scripture. And all of these we have authority and commandment for in the New Testament Scriptures. They are inspired of God. We're not adding to, we're not taking away from what has been given to us in God's Word. And so we are united in the worship of the church. And our singing, our praying, preaching and teaching, the Lord's Supper and giving, we are united. We come together as one. We are united with congregations the world over who are doing the very same thing today. May sound a little bit different. May look a little bit different in different places. But we are all participating in these same acts today. And we are united with those churches today. But also in fellowship. We are united in our fellowship. We are a community of believers tasked with the edification, the building up of one another. Ephesians 4 verses 12 through 16. The church is never referred to in the New Testament as the building or the location in which Christians assemble. Whenever the church is referred to, it is referred to as the people in a certain location or meeting in a certain building. But it's never referred to as the building or the location itself. Where we meet is insignificant. God doesn't care where we are in the world so long as we assemble in the name of Christ. We assemble in the name of Christ when we participate in those same acts. When we follow the authority of the scriptures, then we are united in one church. We are the Lord's church. And even when not in physical fellowship with all believers... We are still united in our love for God and our desire to do His will. We are united in doing those things. On the first day of every week when assembled, we know that we are in fellowship with our brothers and sisters throughout the world because we are doing these very same things. And so we are united in fellowship. We are united in our worship. We are united in the structure, the organization of the church. But we are more than just the building. The church is, is not the building. Where we meet doesn't matter. If we were to go out here beyond the fence and meet in the sod farm, we'd still be the church. When we are one in organization, worship, and fellowship, we are the united body of Christ. And that's what God ultimately wants us to be. The unity of the one body is maintained when Christians are faithful and true to God's word and will. When we believe as commanded, when we, when we worship as commanded, when we serve as commanded, when all of these things are done according to the scriptures, each is important in maintaining the unity of the body. Each member is important in maintaining the unity of the body. And when we differ in doctrine or practice, we are no longer one body, but many. That's the worldly concept of the church. 
you believe what you believe, I believe what I believe, and ultimately we're going to the same place anyway. But that's not what the Bible teaches. That's not God's concept of the church. That's not the, the idea that, that he had in mind. That's not what is expressed in scriptures. It's not what Jesus prayed for. Whenever he prayed for us to be one with, with God and one with each other, that's not what he intended. We aren't intended to believe different things. We aren't intended to teach different things. We're not intended to do different things. Brethren, if we are doing different things, then we are not united. We are not one body. But when we believe and when we worship and when we serve as we are commanded in scriptures, when we're faithful to the word of God, then we can be one body. Then we can work on building up the body. But we must believe and practice and teach the same thing. That doesn't mean that we're not going to differ an opinion on, on how something is to be translated in Scripture now and then that happens. But as long as it's not what we would call a salvation issue, then we can look beyond that. As long as it doesn't affect our worship and what we believe and teach. When it comes to the Word of God, when it comes to the way that we worship, when it comes to the way that we obey the gospel, those are salvation issues. And those things we are to teach and agree on. We have the scriptures to guide us. And it's important that, that we are one, that we are united in our teaching and in our belief. The one body of Christ is responsible for building up and strengthening its members. As we are to maintain this one body... We are to build up and to strengthen this one body. We are to be encouraging and supportive of one another. In Christ, in doing the will of the Lord, we encourage one another in doing the will of God. Now, are you an encourager or are you a discourager? Where do you stand in the Lord's church? What is your role? What do you do to help to build up the body? What are you doing to strengthen fellow members inside and outside of the congregation? Other members of the church? Members of the church even worldwide? You know, we have certain tools in our arsenal, things that we can use to help to build up the body. One of those tools is social media. We don't talk a lot about social media. There are ways that we can use social media to the building up of the body. There are ways in which we can encourage in the posts that we make and the things that we share. And, and we should use those tools in every way that we possibly can. We know those tools can be misused as well. As with anything that we have, uh, anything can be misused or used in the wrong way. When we, just keeping with the theme of social media, when we make posts that are offensive, that don't take into thought how they're going to be received. 
when we want to prove that I'm right and you're wrong, and we don't take into account how that affects the feelings of another person, those tools can be misused. And it's not just social media. There are so many other things in which we have dealings with other people. But ultimately, are you a peacemaker or a peacebreaker? Those things are important. It's important that we be encouraging when we can be encouraging and not be discouraging when we have the opportunity. Ultimately, we have a question. Do we love and bear with our brethren as Paul commanded us to so that we can maintain the unity of the body? If we're not looking to maintain the unity of the body, then what are we doing? Are we in accordance with God's will or are we doing something contrary to God's will? Those are questions that we all must answer. God wants us to be one. And the first way in which we are united as one is in doing the will of God. In obeying the gospel that he has given to us through his son, through the teachings of the apostles, through the things that they have commanded us by inspiration of God. That we hear, that we believe, that we confess our faith in Christ. That we repent and be baptized for the remission of our sins. If you've not obeyed the gospel, we'd be glad to help you in that need and in your desire. Maybe it is that you have obeyed the gospel, but maybe you've not been faithful to maintain the unity of the body as you should. Maybe you've been one that has encouraged division in various ways. Maybe there are things that you need to ask for forgiveness for, for ask for prayers on your behalf. Whatever your need may be today, if there's a way that that we can help you, that we can assist you, we want to do that. We want to be your brothers and sisters in Christ. We want to help you in any way we can. And if you have that need to respond to the Lord's invitation, please come. As together we stand and as we sing. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. On behalf of myself, and at the Mars Hill Church of Christ, we thank you for joining us. We hope you will be back with us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. right here on the Gospel Radio Network at tgrn.org. If you would like to contact us, our phone number is 615-203-3637. If you would like to find out more about our congregation, Our website is www.marshillcoc.org. Our email address is marshillcoc at gmail.com. And if you would like to contact us the old-fashioned way, our address is 1135 Rucker Road, Christiana, Tennessee, 37037. If you are in our area, we would love to meet you in person. Our service times are 9 a.m. for Bible study 
and 10 a.m. for worship on Sunday mornings. Thank you again for joining us, and until we meet again, may God bless you. Thank <laughs> you.